This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 259 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. Hello. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing good. This is a fairy tale centric episode, so very much my jam. Um, if you are listening to this, though, on the day it comes out on Monday, you can go to your library's website if you're in North America, and you can go borrow uh, Harry Potter and the Source for a Stone as an ebook right away, thanks to our friends at Pottermore. So let's get that out of the way one more time. Let's say it real quickly. Um, but no, I am good, and today's episode is really cool. It's sort of like a panel that I did at Book Expo America. There were three wonderful authors who were sitting down at a actual panel uh, right after this. And so I got to sit down with all three of them at the same time. It's Rena Rosner, Lainey Taylor, and Naomi Novik, uh, all three wonderful fairy tale writers, like modern day fairy tale authors. Um, so the, normally with publishers and publicists, like everyone has a different publicist if they have different publishers, and even if they have the same publisher. And like one person, they're all different publishers and are this one superhero woman who we work with literally was just like, I'll take care of it for you and got all three of them for me. That's amazing. Oh, so great. So it was really cool. It was in our booth at Book Expo America and I felt very fancy because we had a sitting with three different authors at the same table with me. Like all their publicists were around Like people were taking pictures. It felt like a uh, professional situation there. So, um, yeah. Uh, if people want to get a hold of us, how can they do that? Easiest way to just go to our website, professionalbooknerds.com. Um, from there, we have all of our social links, which is Twitter and Instagram, at ProBookNerds. You can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. And our website also has uh, links to our Viber community, which is our um, book chat community where you can come talk about books with us. That's right. Speaking of bookish things, when people hear this, it's going to be your wedding week officially, right? Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. I was like, where are we going with this? Uh-huh. Well, I got you're it. Because we're having a, a library, a library-themed wedding. We are having a library-themed wedding. We are having a library-themed yeah. wedding. We are both librarians. Getting nervous? Getting excited? Getting just happy for all the planning to be done? I'm... I'm... <laughs> <laughs> just like, your brain's like melted. My brain is melted. I'll just be glad when... I mean, I'm very happy to get married, but... Uh-huh. So much of it. As someone who has a lot of anxiety about things, it's... <laughs> I think my favorite thing you said to me, like, the past month was, I totally get why people elope. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely in that stage of things. But now I'm like, just get through the next few days and... It'll be amazing. I will never, ever have to do this ever again. You're going to have the bestest day. It's going to be great. Very excited for you guys. Thanks. So, just thought I would get a check-in because <laughs> I feel like we might, we'll do one more intro before your actual wedding. We will. But by then, you'll be... You'll be gone and all that jazz so. i will okay well happy wedding week thank Jill. you uh-huh all right and for everyone else i hope you guys enjoy this very fairy tale centric conversation on the professional book nerds podcast hi everyone it's adam again i am still hanging out at book expo america and 
this is something I've been waiting for all day, really for like years to get a chance to do something like this. I am sitting down with not one, but three women whose work I cannot speak highly enough of. All of their books are magical and whimsical and incredible. I have, and I apologize if I say names wrong, call me out on it if I do, all three of you. Rena Rossner, Lainey Taylor, and Naomi Novik. 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 Yeah, had her for some. All three of you are writers who have written fairy tales that are woven into this magical fabric of life. And I know you guys are doing a mini panel, kind of like this in a little bit. And it's all about fairy tales and their importance and things like that. And I kind of want to start doing that before you talk to people live and in person. So first off, sincerely, thank you guys for joining me today. That's a thank pleasure. you. And first off, I, this is going to sound like a, either a silly or kind of an obvious question, but how would you guys describe fairy tales? And we'll just go left to right. I'll let you kind of start. Like, it seems like a thing that obviously people know, but it's also... I mean, so fairy tales, I guess by definition are there in the folk um, tradition. There are stories that have been passed down orally for many years and eventually captured and written down. Um, and so they exist in lots of different versions across different cultures. And it's really fun to you know compare them and how they change from culture to culture. But they tend to have elements of magic and the supernatural. And um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm going to depart from that, I guess, for a minute and say one of the things that I love about all three of our books is that I think that they kind of take fairy tales and, and turn them on their heads a little bit. Um, and sometimes, like, a land can be a fairy tale, like we. It's kind of, it's a fairy tale. It's a land that people dream of, you know. And a forest can be a fairy tale, you know, like in your story, how it has a life of its own. And I think that that's kind of, like, what we try to do is take these old tales that have been told and retold and retold and retold and then retell them yet again yeah. in a completely new way. Yeah. I think that's interesting. You know, I, I think um, one of the reasons that I like engaging with fairy tales is because they're, they're sort of our foundation, right? And one of the nice things about working with fairy tales is that then your work is not trying to stand in sort of isolation. Your work is in conversation and in dialogue with stories that people already know, that people already have deep in their heads. Um, and I think that that's one of the most powerful things about fairy tales. Um, one of the other pieces that I often think of about fairy tales is that they're so, you know, as the mother of a young child, I, I know how often you're desperately trying to just keep the child engaged, right? And you're trying to tell them a story on their level. And I think a lot of original fairy tales are told at that level of, um, you know, the level of the family, that very often you don't get the politics, you don't get the economy, you don't get the details of how wars are fought, you don't get sort of detailed maneuvers. Um, it's kept at the level that um, that was, you can tell that it was sort of being told orally by people who were like, go to sleep, <laughs> go to sleep. Um, and so I think that they are therefore ripe for exactly, as you're saying, complicating them. Um, taking them in different directions, layering additional levels of story on top of them. Yeah, very frequently there is a nuclear, 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 like, aspect to the story where it is this very grounded, not grounded in the sense that well, it's like magic, the, but... the family, right? The, yeah. The, the prince or the peasant boy or the... Right. You or know, the sisters, right? Or, or the, the yes. right, you right. Know. Yeah, and, and it's yeah. how they get to become a family. How do you create a family out of it? I... I'm curious to think what you guys think 
they continue to endure in pop culture, like, aside from the Disneyfication of Disney taking, hey, you know, this crusty old white guy one day being like, instead of coming up with my own ideas, why don't I just make these ones a little bit nicer? But I'm curious why you guys think that they continue to remain so popular. I think that there's just something in us as humans that relies on and craves story that we need. I, I accidentally came up with a term that um, sounds a little lewd, but I think that we have a myth hole <laughs> that needs to be filled. <laughs> and really, I mean, I think, you know, the fact that we see over time and over across cultures that these same tale types and these same character archetypes um, come up again and again, I think that, that those are you know, it's like there's a socket and these are the things that fit it and that's what we need. And um, and it's so interesting to me, like as a fantasy writer, uh, you know, that, that that's the original storytelling. It's like the epics and the sagas and and um, and I think it's just a shape that our, our souls need. And, um, and the tropes of fantasy fiction are, you know, much of them the same as come right out of fairy tales and legends and myths. And I think that we just, we need it on this deep level and that it satisfies something in us that life does not and you you kind of touched on something about the fact that you know it's like an oral thing when they're basically like please go sleep come on (laughs) but because of the fact that they're told orally there's this oral tradition of fairy tales and that sort of lends to being able to retell them even like i wouldn't really call any of your most recent stories like a retelling of any kind it's a more it's a truly original fairy tale but it is still i think the fact that for so many generations they were told they weren't really written down specifically i think that lends to modern writers it opens them up um the fact that you know there are my my daughter's school they're doing cinderella plays right and there's literally like a thousand versions of the cinderella story um that you can just collect that's not even talking about modern day retellings um and that inherently i think opens them up to us as storytellers right you know the sense that all right, everybody else is in there. Why can't I go in there and mess around? Um, and I think that that's a very uh, that's a very inviting inviting place of storytelling, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what sort of engages our my imagination. Yeah. Well, and there's just something about those situations, like the situation of Cinderella, that the powerlessness and the escapist fantasy, or the idea that you know someone's going to come in and save you and help you and I mean all of the stories have at their root this thing that is so powerful to us and I think that these are the most powerful tropes I mean like the things that make you want to be in the story Mm -hmm. like you know Harry Potter like the classic you know the idea of being special finding out you're special like these things are just they're like food for our souls and and so we want to go there again and 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 again and also you know with Cinderella right it's the justice right it's the idea that she is she is constantly kind and patient and then that's that virtue is rewarded in fairy tales right right? Um, but I think in a certain way we also kind of say well there's this fairy tale but what happens if I put it in a forest in Poland right or what happens if I put it in a forest in Russia and then it has to engage with like Russian myths and legends and it has to engage with like um, well I can put a swan in there and a bear in there because those are local myths and legends even though I'm I'm retelling Christina Rossetti's Goblin Market poem which is she was you know nowhere near Russia in her retelling none of that I wanted to ask you actually specifically Mm -hmm. your story Sisters of the Winter first incredible every i feel like every time i say look at one of you guys that's funny like by the way your work oh my god (laughs) that that's adam uses his mouth awkwardly with his hands they can't see that but you put like i think there's there's some truth to the story that you told 
Do you think it's important for modern day fairy tales to have some sort of a connection to something that may have happened? Because I, in your, in your often at the end, you say like, no, these are actual, like, these horrible things happen to these communities. Do you, what do you think that adds to a fairy tale? So I think that that's part of like the darkness of fairy tales. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and one of the things that attracted me to Christina Rossetti's poem, it was was that there are very adult elements to it. There is darkness in there. There is darkness in almost all fairy tales, especially the original story, the Grimm's versions of them, etc. You know, and there's a lot of darkness in history. There's a lot of darkness in current events. Yeah, now. <laughs> there's a lot of darkness. And so how do we take these tales? What What is it about fairy tales and darkness that continues to attract us to them? And how do we take that and make it relevant to today and to history? Um, you know, that we've all lived different types of fairy tales. Um, I talk about, you know, one of the reasons I'm here today is because my family lived a fairy tale, right? Somebody went through what they went through and got out and started again. And that's also a fairy tale, even though it's rooted in very real darkness. Right. And I think that can be a nice way to relate tragedy and difficult situations to young readers is showing them through a story that is fantastical and has some whimsy and some myth to it but showing them like no these things are different like you know I, I look at Stranger Dreamer and to me it can be looked at as a story about how people judge people that are differently from them and who they have an idea of a certain society just because they don't know what they look like and they're off into a, a different place like to me and I feel like there's little pieces of that actually really in all of the three of your stories where I don't know if you had set out to, to sell this message of, like, look how dangerous it can be if you don't choose to look at other people. You know, I think um, there's, I don't know who, who said this, um, but there's a lovely quote that says that um, children know that there are monsters. Children grow up knowing that there are monsters, and fairy tales tell them that the monsters can be defeated, right? Um, and uh, more broadly, that I do think what you were saying about truth about trying to tell a true story mm-hmm. uh, that that's really the key and I think that fairy tales because they are those stories that um, do reach that that kind of inherent need in us that satisfy us um, they do let us tell stories that are true even when they're made up right and they let us access a story about that's that's dark but through the skin of a character who has a supernatural ability, often given a gift or an ability to actually do something about it and to survive it and to help, and it makes us feel less powerless. What do you guys find more challenging as a writer? Shaping and crafting the characters and the story that's going to be in the world that you're going to create, or shaping and crafting that world? Because for all three of your stories, you mentioned it, to me, your story isn't just woods, it's just a goblin market that is retold and uprooted there is a whole basic kingdom but there's also these characters who are so different and i love that i'm telling you guys about your books <laughs> that's not a great word but like, I, I feel like um the two feed each other mm-hmm. right i generally uh, at least i don't actually do world building in advance mm-hmm. i start with the character's voice the character starts telling me things about the world mm-hmm. i start having questions about the character in the world and I have to answer those questions before I can write the next piece of whatever happens to that character. Um, sometimes I realize, oh wait, the first piece of what I wrote doesn't actually fit with my new understanding. 
in which case I go back and revise it. Yeah. And and then the character again tells me, all right, now I know a little more about the world. What's my character doing next, yeah. given those conditions? And that's, that's what I do, too. And um, when I was a younger writer, like writing to me actually meant world building. And I would like create all these elaborate fantasy worlds. But Dungeons I never did any yes, storytelling right. in them. Like nobody ever did anything. I just had, you know, a, a world on paper. And so like now I know like the trap of that. And I've met people who ha who are writing, you know, epic fantasy, but all they've done is the world building over years. And so I think it's much, for me, I like, I like to have a few, a, a vague sense maybe of the world, but then yeah, I like follow the characters and figure out what I need to know. Uh -huh. um, and, and it's all like a conversation. Yeah. I mean, I think that when I started writing my book, um, I actually got to the end of it and um, had just written a fairy tale retelling of, of Goblin Market and I was really unhappy with it. Mm -hmm. And I woke my husband up in the middle of the night one night and I was like, my book doesn't have a soul. And he was like, go back to sleep. <laughs> and I was like, no, I need to put Yiddish into it. And he's like, Rena, go back to sleep. <laughs> um, and then I started to, I, it needed more of a sense of place. Yeah. I was like, I wrote this book, but it has no heart. Yeah. And I needed to then find a place to set it. And then I rewrote the book eight times until I put it in a real place with real people, with a real history, and had them speaking Yiddish and yeah. Hebrew. And, you know, and then all of a sudden, the book had a soul. Um, I have to say, as someone who, my father's side of the family is Jewish, and like he doesn't practice, but we would go to Passover and we would go to Hanukkah. I'm like having these like little inklings, like, oh, I know what that is. Oh wait, we had that for like this. <laughs> I appreciated all that. It was too. I, something that I think all of your stories have is this like, sort of. There's not a straight through line in the story. I love books that, while I'm reading them, I'm not 100% certain where I am in the story. It's not a complete line, it's sort of circular. I think of like um, Winter Song by S.J. Jones, just kind of like a retelling of, actually speaking of God, but it's kind of like The Labyrinth. It's a little bit of a retelling of the movie The Labyrinth. Like, when you're writing these things, you guys mentioned that, you know, you don't necessarily, like, what, I guess this is a long-winded way of asking, are you planning this all this out in advance, what's going to happen? And then if so, are you concerned of, about changing it at the end. I'm shaking my head no. Uh, yeah, that's a definitive, yeah. that's a definitive <laughs> no. To no. me, actually, like, my main motivation for writing anything, for writing any book, is to find out what the heck happens right. next. Yeah. Yeah. None of us are outliners. Or right, us yeah. Are, I mean, so, but usually in a group of three, there will be an outliner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I just had to send a summary of, like, my next book to my editor. Oh, no spoilers. I hate it, I hate it so and much. And I was like... Yeah. And then a week later, I wrote her, and I was like, so a lot has changed since last week. Because <laughs> so I was just actually writing it, and like, once they were actually by that tree, they did something completely different, and so I really think I should just write the book. This is my metaphor for that. It's like, when I start writing a book, it's like, I, I know a little bit. It's like standing outside of a house, like, I'm back on the sidewalk, and you can see in the windows uh -huh. a little bit. But that's outlining. But for me, to see what's in the house, you have to just start writing. You have to go through the door, and that's, right. that's writing. And and you can only know so much from the outside. Uh -huh. And, um, and you know, you, you have to get in there and start exploring, at least I do. And I've, I've tried outlining, I'm not against it. I think it sounds very civilized. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but it just doesn't work for me. I can't see it. I, like, I'll know some vague things that I'm, that I'm trying to get to, but like, I can't figure out the how until yeah. I'm in there. And it's trial and error, and I, yeah. and I, I never I figure say, out. Like, right, as I go, I start to see a little further ahead. Yeah. The further I get through the book, the more I feel like I'm Same. getting, I, I know vaguely where I'm going. It becomes a life around you. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. just a feeling. 
Yeah, so for me, it, it definitely is like the, the first third takes like easily as long as the whole rest of the book, right. and then it starts to pick up speed. I had someone else do that too. This like they had is basically they, they stuck themselves to the like butt in the chair like idea of like just sit down and try to write like the first. <laughs> 20,000 words took forever and then the next 80,000 felt like they fell out of my brain. A friend of mine who's an outliner, we both like made this pact with each other that we were going to send each other the first like 30,000 words of our book by a certain date. Mm -hmm. And she held the deadline perfectly and I was like, I've got 5,000 words. And I've rewritten like many times. (laughs) I'm like, but it's a start. And that's so exciting because that's the hardest part. And often those people, like they take so much longer in revision because, you know, it's interesting. I, I guess I'm I'm different actually in that I find that the opening is almost always um, where it comes super fast for me. Mm-hmm. Um, both uprooted and spinning silver, um, I wrote the first. I mean, like spinning silver, I was literally writing a short story, and I blew past ten thousand words, and I was like, oh, this is not a short story. <laughs> um, None of my short stories are short that stories. That sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. But even when I write a short story and I like, publish it as a short story, it's like really just a very condensed novel. <laughs> right. Well, uh, before we started recording, before you guys yeah. rushed it up, I literally, I literally started yelling at Lainey. Like, I walked up to her, a person she had not met. Like, <laughs> I have a bone to pick with you. And it was because Strange the Dreamer was, I didn't know until the very end. I was like, oh crap, this, is, this isn't going to get wrapped up. I'm going to have to wait a year. And she said, you, you literally said, like, well, I didn't plan on it to be more than a one novel they that grew. I kind of <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I really have a few more minutes so I want to make sure I get another question and then I would love some book recommendations from you guys not each other's because that's not fair there's two of you sitting here but I'm curious I think a lot of times when books are written for adults that might fall into this same category they just slap on fantasy as the genre and they walk away but if I hear something described as an adult fairy tale like if you say it's a dark adult fairy tale i I don't need to know anymore like when neil gaiman came out with um ocean at the end of the lane i didn't read what it was about because they were like neil gaiman presents an adult fairy tale perfect they don't happen that often and like why do you think people tend to shy away from pushing their stories as adult fairy tales like why do you think they need to just say like oh it's an adult fantasy do you think it's like connotation. I, I, I feel like they're different things, yeah. I guess. I don't, in a way, I don't know how I, I like an adult fairy tale is fantasy, but not all fantasy is an adult fairy mm-hmm. tale, yeah. I guess. Um, I, I think that one of the interesting things about all three of our books is that they both are sort of this YA adult crossover space. Yes. Yours, which is kind of being published by a YA publisher crossing up and ours crossing down. Um, and mine are published adult in, in the UK. But my, my book is still about a 15-year-old and 17-year-old sister, and it's a coming-of-age tale, and the most that happens on the page is a kiss. Yeah. At, but it's sold to an adult house. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think that there's a lot of that interesting conversation happening, uh-huh. even though all three of our works are technically categorized, I guess, as, as adult. I don't know. I mean, I sort of, I honestly, I don't think about it. I just, I write the you book, write and the I book. hand it to the end, and it's like, yeah. you, you call it whatever you want, and yeah. I, I don't really know. I mean, I, I feel like... People, people might resist the label adult fairy tale out of anxiety mm-hmm. over it. I think there are people who resist the label fantasy. But I think that people would read an adult fairy tale sooner than they would read a fantasy if they're not fantastically inclined. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think yeah. fairy tale is less off-putting and more mass-consumable. Mm-hmm. You know, like we have, um, we're going to have a Maleficent 2 before we're going to have another epic fantasy movie. You know, like it's just not, yeah. like fantasy is, is much more the, the red-haired stepchild in the in the mass space than fairy tale. Fairy tales, like, they got their foot in the door. They're okay. Yeah. So I think part of it is language, though. Um, if you look at 
I mean, our, all three of our books are more literary. There, there's more engagement with the language. There's, they're more poetic. They're, they're written in a different way, I guess, than you know, fantasy novels. Though we can all well, point I mean, mine to... definitely isn't a fairy tale. You know, it's definitely a fantasy novel that yeah. has original fairy tales in it, I guess. But like, it doesn't. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I love adult fairy tales too. Yeah, <laughs> mine isn't one, but. All right, I know you guys have to run, and I wish I could keep you here for hours, but I would love a book that you are currently absolutely loving, and then if you wouldn't mind, maybe the book that like made you kind of fall in love and knew you wanted to be a writer because of a, a book that you read when you were a kid. So we can do one that you like now first, and I'll to be fair, I'll go right to left. I started with you before. So, Amy, do you have a book that you're really enjoying um, or enjoyed in your recent It's so, it, it's like literally I have a stack on my table like oh, yeah. this with both your books on it that <laughs> I'm very excited about. Um, I've been reading um, uh, the, and I don't, I literally don't remember titles. It's the book, the biography of Laura Ingalls Wilder. Oh yeah. Um, All the Prairie Fires, I think. Someday. Um, which I, I'm quite enjoying. And I recently read, um, a history book by, I think, I want to say Barbara Tuckman, um, that was just spectacular about the Black Death. Um, and which was, yes, thank you, uh, yeah. A Distant Mirror. And, um, it, it, that I don't always remember titles either, that just came out of nowhere. Yes. <laughs> no, pull. but it's, um, you know, it was interesting because I read it before I wrote Spinning Silver, so I wrote, I read this book a, a little further ago, um, but it, and it was you know, specifically the sections on the destruction of the Jewish communities in Western Europe, which was a story, you know, that clearly, that is a story before the story of my own family, um, that I didn't, which is the story that partly is what Spinning Silver is about, um, and I didn't know that piece of their story, and I don't think my own family kind of knew that piece of their story in a way, um, so that was that was one of those things where you read a book and you're suddenly like, wait, that's that's the story. Yeah. Um, and I, this the book that that sort of started me. I there there are too many to name. Sure, that's fair. Um, I will say I will just pick randomly because I've been thinking about her a lot. Um, Ursula Le Guin, um, Wizard of Earthsea. Yeah, was just an enormously formative. Yeah. That's a perfect answer. Um, what do you think? Yeah, so I'm currently reading, I mean, I, because I'm also a literary agent, I read a lot of things ahead of time, or, you know, um, uh, my agency also represents a lot of books for the translation of into Hebrew, mm-hmm. so I also get things, a lot of galleys and things ahead of time, but, so I'm reading a book that isn't out yet, but um, it's by Katya Debesera, I think her name is, it's called Let the Woods Keep, and it's a, it's a YA fantasy, um, sort of, I guess a fairy tale retelling, too, um, Based on like the Nibelungen lead, is that I don't know if I'm butchering that or oh, not. The, 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 yeah. yeah, it's so I haven't seen that done, and it's so well done, and it's so interesting, and cool. I'm really, really enjoying it. That's awesome. um, and um, I feel like I also am always reading multiple things at the same yeah. time. I've been reading a lot of like poetry, John Ashbery. I work, yeah. I work because I my book is written half in verse and half in prose. So I'm always yes, reading poetry is. at the same time as I'm doing other things. Yeah. And in terms of what inspired me. Um, there was a whole series of fairy tale retellings that were that came out like in the 90s, like Tamlin by Pamela Dean and yeah. um, Briar Rose by Jane Yolen, and those were like foundational to me. And I think clearly you can see the influence. Yeah. 
I'm getting a one minute from your guys' okay. particular publicist. So. so I'm going to give two uh, recommendations. I just finished a book that's not out yet called The Boneless Mercies. Oh. And it is a gender-flipped Beowulf retelling. It's on my, it's it's my so side table. I spoke with April this morning, and she speaks very highly of all three okay. of you. By for April what it's worth. Tulky, I should say. But, yeah. um, and it's fabulous. It's so good. I just read it on vacation. And um, I didn't just recently read this, but I love Catherine Arden's The Bear and the Nightingale and The yes. Girl in the Tower. They're so, so good. And I think the third one comes out this summer. Which maybe it's here. I need to find it. It's amazing. Um, and then the the formative author, I guess I would say, because after university, I was like reading only um, reading only like literary fiction mm-hmm. and trying to write it and having no fun at all. Yeah. And what finally um, broke through for me was when Harry Potter came out in in ninety eight, whatever. Have, and I have Harry Potter tattoos on my arm. And uh, you know, read it, loved it, but like it slowly made me wake up to like fantasy again and, and books for young people and uh, when I finally did start writing again it was it was middle grade fantasy yeah. so yeah, well, I know you guys have to run but Rena, Lainey and Amy, I have been looking forward to this since the moment I got the email about it sincerely all of your books are wonderful you so I much. enjoyed this thoroughly thank you guys so much for joining us today readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from overdrive.com and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.